0: Hello and welcome to Lore Watcher on table freeform discussion about lore and the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host Joe Perez one of several lore focused folks from Blizzard Watch and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today Matt Rossi. How are you doing today Matt? okay. All right well today we're going to be answering some more questions from you our listeners. Again if you have Questions for this podcast or the other podcast, feel free to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. You can also send them into our Discord channel. If you are a Patreon supporter, we have a Patreon queue and podcast questions channel set aside specifically for you. You can go ahead and drop those in there. Uh, if you are not a Patreon supporter but don't want to do the email thing, you can also drop them into our queue questions uh, channel, which, well, we look there as well. Uh, We are going to start out with a first question from our friend Godzilla with a slight warning that there may be some slight spoilers for some things that may be coming in some future publications. Uh, So Godzilla says, I have returned again with some recent information regarding the upcoming Folk and Fairy Tales book and how it connects to Shadowlands. Long folk story short, Verisa finds a fragment of Sylvanas' soul in the Maw. Matt has gone on record saying the worst thing we can do to Sylvanas is make her feel again. Could the climax of 9.1 be the reunification of Sylvanas' soul with the weight of all her actions bearing down on her? Could the remainder of Shadowlands be her trying to fix her mess? Um, No. <laughs> uh, we don't know. But here's here's the thing. Like, it all depends on time frame. Like, when Folk and Fairy Tales is supposed to happen. Uh, so if Verisa finds a fragment of Sylvanas' soul in the mall, is it after we fought her? Is it after we've already torn through uh, the the dungeon raid? Does it actually matter? Is it a piece of her soul beforehand? It really doesn't give us anything to go off of aside from it's a piece of her soul. And if you look at the entirety of Shadowlands, that's not exactly abnormal. E- souls are are spent and used and, and done as pieces of of experimentations and put together in conglomerations of monstrosities. We see it all throughout the Maw. We've seen it throughout all of Torghest. Uh, The entire army of the Jailer is basically a mishmash of souls and anima shoved together in violent violent experimentation to make, uh, for lack of a better term, clockwork soldiers powered by anima. So finding a fragment of Sylvanas' soul in the Maw, that is not really a statement that means anything yet. There is no context to it. It is simply a statement that it is there. And it could be any number of things. So it's a ripe possibility that, you know, maybe it's after our fight. Maybe it's after we have the encounter with her. Maybe it's a result of her using more power. Uh, Throughout the course of the encounter, because if you if you've seen anything with the encounters, they're long, they're drawn out. They're not just a simply we go and punch her once and that's it. She's interacting with us throughout the entirety of that that raid setup till we get to her in particular. So who knows? There's also the other the other aspect of it where for how long has she been brought back from Shadowlands to the land of the living and by? her dark Valkyr or the dark Valkyr that are loyal to, to her or loyal to Helya. Did they put all of her back? Is that insurance policy that somebody has on her? Who knows? Again, it's, it's one of those things where, yes, it's an interesting bit of information, but we have no context. And without any context, it can literally mean anything, or it could also mean nothing. Any any thoughts on that, Matt?
1: Um, well, I mean, you said the main thing I was thinking is that we really don't know the context. But also, I, I I'm not enthused at the idea of Sylvanas getting to fix her mess. I, I don't. From the beginning of Battle for Azeroth, my biggest fear was that Sylvanas was too popular to pay any consequences for her actions. And I know that the big Sylvanas book is coming out months after this raid. And while I'm looking forward to it, because Christy Golden is an amazing writer, I'm leery of what that means, that there's going to be a big Sylvanas novel releasing in November. Rather, you know what I'm saying? There's a lot left to Sylvanas' story past this Raid encounter, so I don't know what's going to happen in it. I don't know what the ultimate denouement of everything is going to be. Uh, It certainly could be something that comes up, but until we see more than just like the story in the uh, fairy tale book, we, we don't have a lot to go on here. We'll know more as we actually get to test the raid encounter. We'll know more as the story progresses. So that's pretty much all I have on that one.
0: Yeah. And I mean, and I'm also on the same camp as you are like, I'm not, I like Sylvanas as a character. I've gone on record of saying that, but I don't think that she is a character that deserves to be absolved of all the sins that she's, she's committed in game essentially, because she's done a lot. And let's be perfectly honest over the course of all these years, She's done a lot of of not very nice things, but she again, like Matt said, there's this fear that she's too popular to sort of pay whatever price is necessary for it where other characters have. And I'm hoping that that's not the case. I don't I personally don't want to see her going around trying to fix her messes and and whatever she's done and undoing all these things that she's done up to this point because to me it feels like then what's the point of all that happening to begin with, because that is years and years and years of character development and plans and story and twists and turns. And I think very good character development with this, with Sylvanas in general, that then gets erased because, well, it was all just to redeem her, And that's my biggest fear. And I know there's a lot of people out there that want her to have this this big redemption arc, but I'm not one of them. I don't think she needs one, because I think that if that happens, it sort of invalidates a lot of what she's done, at least over the course of three expansions at this point. And why would you do that? Like, I, I, That's the part that I can't reconcile, is I understand wanting your favorite character to have these big moments, but she can still be your favorite character and not be redeemed. And and that's the part that I, I struggle with. So like, and again, I know that a lot of people out there, and we get this a lot. I get this a lot in direct messages on discord and Twitter and everything else where everybody's throwing these theories out of how she's going to be redeemed. But I always respond with the same question. Why does she need to be redeemed? I don't think she does. And again, with her, the them finding a piece of her soul, that doesn't mean she's going to be redeemed. That doesn't mean anything. So we'll find out. And I have a feeling that, like Matt pointed out, we're not going to get the full Sylvanas story in game. At least not right now. There's a lot more to it left. So even after we're done with whatever happens in the raid and whatever the outcome there, we have that book that I am very much anticipating from Christy Golden. Chrissy Golden is a fantastic writer who gives a lot of depth to these characters, and I think that it's a good thing that she's writing this particular story. And I'll I'll call out the Arthas book. The Arthas book was a fantastic look into everything that was happening with Arthas without making him a good guy. It it I wouldn't say justified his actions. But it gave you more insight into what he was doing and why he was doing it. It didn't make it better. It didn't make it right. It didn't make the calling of Stratholme suddenly this thing that needs to be celebrated in Azeroth every day as an annual holiday. It just gave you this is his mindset. This is where he was. These are the things that happened that led him to where he became the Lich King and then beyond. I'm fine if that's what happens here as well. And I've heard a lot of other people talk about that book and how it's going to, you know, justify everything that Sylvanas has done up to this point. It's not always about that. It's it's just about giving that character more time to, to basically flush in or fill in all those little gaps that the character development doesn't get a chance to have necessarily in-game. And Sylvanas is a very complicated character. And it's okay for her to be very complicated. So I think we've I've talked about that enough to death. Uh but again, I get what people want to see her redeemed, but I'm definitely not one of them. Uh anything else before I move on, Matt?
1: At this at this rate, people who complain that I talk too much will be wrong. So cool. <laughs>
0: All right, well, we're going to move on to the next one. Uh, Hello, Watchers. I've been thinking very hard about the Ascended Covenant quest, Limbo. It's an anima-conducted quest in Bastion that has you assess souls as part of the Ascended training or something. You simply hear the circumstances of a soul's death and decide if they should be brought to the Shadowlands by the Kyrian or return to life. Pick the wrong answer, you get stunned, and do it again. The thing that gets me is the scenario has some strange implications. Sure, a mortal race dying in combat to protect their loved ones, or a goblin dying in a lab uh, lab accident to try to protect their beloved pets, might show that death comes for us all, but there are others. The elemental spirit that dies in the Firelands, for example. Why does it come up? Isn't it a rule that elementals go back to their plane or whatever? Or the lich that begs for release after so many resurrections? Or the demon who has to go to the Twisting Nether? Why are the Kyrian even judging these things? Don't they follow an entirely different order? There are some, There are even several examples of souls being out of the Kyrian purvoy because they've already heard the call of the Lich King. There's an attendant there to explain to you why the decision is made for each soul, but it sounds like they're explaining rules more than the natural order. It's almost as though the Kyrian are doing little more than enforcing something created. Could this be an early sign that the Shadowlands... Uh, Oh, wow. Yeah. Could this be an early sign that the Shadowlands are fabricated? To what end could that be? Could it possibly be some layer over the true natural order of the universe, collecting souls from where they're supposed to go, like a drain cover trapping hair in the tub? Please speculate wildly. Love the show, and this is Arcee, a, who is forever a fire mage from Wildhammer. You, There's definitely, I wouldn't say some oddness to it. Outside of the quest, the Kyrian are just enforcers of whatever rules are already set forth they don't independently think that was part of the whole thing that we talked about a long time ago when specifically we were talking about bastion and the covenants uh and what was going on with that matt pointed out that there's you know that's why they're still dropping souls into the maw at that point it's because they're that they're not taught to independently think like that they're taught duty. They're taught, here are your rules, go follow them, that's what you do. And I think there's an element of that here in this quest, when you have the attendant explaining the decisions and why they're made, because technically they're not the ones making the decision, they're just enforcing the decision that was already made. Um, I think the oddness of it to me is that the quest gives you this idea that the Kyrian have a decision to be made in that process, and that they could sort of not go against or they could they could possibly move against the wishes of the arbiter or whatever was predetermined for whatever reason which we've seen is basically what makes the forsworn uh so there is a weird implication in that but other than that i don't know that it really generally sort of invalidates that And i think it just basically highlights more so that they're following the directives right that i think that's what that shows what do you think about that part matt
1: I mean, it's obvious that the Shadowlands seem constructed.
0: Yeah, we know uh, that.
1: We, talk about them all, we you know, there's the idea that each of the, I don't want to know what to call them, realms? Each of the Shadowlands seem to be based around the being that's in charge of them. Uh, we know that there's to the point where, I can't remember his name. Wow, this is bad. He's one of the big ones. Denathrius. Mm-hmm. Denathrius says, I am Revendreth. And he seems to mean it literally, and, yeah, yeah, so there's there's that that's that right off the top the, the the individual shadowlands seem to be constructed, there seems to be like an element of these powerful beings arrived, and these things were created around them. Uh, we know that the first ones are somehow involved, there's the first one's gate in the maw, so there's a lot of that going on, and we don't know much we don't know like the specifics of it, but we definitely know that there's shadowlands appear to be constructed in a way that seems similar to the Titans. It's possible that the, the pantheon of death are similar to the Titans and that they order the places they go to. And that rather than ending up in material physical, you know, Azeroth plane of existence, they ended up in the shadowlands where they ordered that instead. Uh, we don't know. Uh, We don't know exactly what they are. um, we do know that, that there's something going on, but I definitely think that that's, that's kind of a, you know, there's there's nothing concrete to go on here. Um, but the Kyrian are definitely, they, for most of their existence, have just been doing what they're told. Um, the Archon gives them orders and they follow them and they don't even, it's like nobody bothered to go to the Archon and say, hey, what, you know. Should we we still put souls in the Maw since nobody's coming here? Maybe that's the, they didn't even really under, they didn't know what the problem was for an extended period of time. You know, there's no way to know exactly when the Kyrian finally figure out, oh, this is going to the Jailer who is behind all our woes. I mean, they don't know anything until you show up.
0: And even then they don't believe you right away, right?
1: Until the Maul Walker shows up, they know nothing. They don't believe you right away, and it's not until you finally get the Archon to listen to you for a few minutes that you actually manage to convey to to them, you know, this is how serious this is. <clears throat> so, in terms of who made the the Shadowlands, we have no idea, and to what purpose it serves, we don't know. If there even is a natural order of things, that's the thing people keep saying. This doesn't feel like it's part of the natural order of things. What is the natural order of things? Do you know? Has anybody said? It doesn't feel like anybody actually knows what the natural order of things, or even if there is a natural order of things. Because this is the realm of death. It is outside the natural order of things. The natural order of things is back on Azeroth. That's where natural orders happen. There are no natural orders in the Shadowlands. Everything is an unnatural order. By necessity, the place is not natural. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's possible that before the Shadowlands there was nothing and all souls just stopped existing they went into the Shadowlands and then who knows maybe they went to the in between where they were devoured we know the devourers live there maybe they just stopped maybe their all their anima and all their existence just dissipated into nothingness in the void that existed before the Shadowlands was created I don't know. Before that, you know, did void and it seems like void and light existed before anything else.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's possible that before a certain point, there was no shadowlands because there was no death. There might not have been anything there, and it was only the creation of beings that could die that caused the shadowlands to exist. I don't know. So it's impossible to say, and I think that's something we really need to consider. It's quite possible that there was nothing here before the Shadowlands was put there. And that's why the Void attacks it. Because they think it's it's supposed to be Void. This isn't supposed to be a place where spirits go and exist. That's not Void. Void is nothingness. You're supposed to be nothing. And we're going to keep trying to make it nothing, rather than this thing that is something, which is not what it's supposed to be, in their opinion that's something to consider that the entire place, the entire plane of the shadowlands might effectively be an insult to the void. Cause it's like a shadow of, of things that actually exist and you need light for shadows to be cast. So that's one possibility. I don't know, but I do know that the shadowlands definitely feel like they were constructed and that construction. Might. Not have been to replace anything, there might not have been anything there to replace, mm-hmm. so that's just one one way to look at it,
0: yeah. The and and we speculated previously that you know, Ourobos might be a, a new construction or new ish construction, even in terms of the Shadowlands, uh, in relation to like the maw and everything else. And we've talked about that a, a lot. But that doesn't necessarily mean that what was before Oribos being created, before the Arbiter doing that job, that there wasn't something else that was created prior to that. This could be Shadowlands version 2.0. We don't know. We don't know what existed beforehand. The other thing that I'd like to talk about a little bit is... When you're pointing out these different spirits that wind up getting judged by the Kyrian, it's not that they're getting judged by the Kyrian, and it actually does make a lot of sense that these spirits would show up and that the Kyrian would do their job. The elemental spirit that dies in the Firelands and then gets sent before the Kyrian makes sense, because it's still a soul, It's consp- it's comprised of spirit, and has to be ferried to a place right? It's the same thing with that Lich. It's the same thing with that demon souls have to transport somewhere. And that's one of the things that they've been very keen to point out specifically with the Kyrian is that that's their job. Their job is to ferry the souls to their destination. It doesn't say the shadow lands. When we were first introduced to the Kyrian, they literally said ferrying souls to their final destination. So what does that mean? That means that if you're not going to the Shadowlands, if you're not being categorized into one of those realms, or if you're not a soul that can be touched or harvested in the case of, let's say, an elemental spirit or uh, a lich that's already made its deal and is sort of outside of that, those rules are in place that basically they're not judging. They're reading off and saying, okay, this is user one, two, three, four, five, six. They go to they go back to this point and they take that soul. They take it over to that point and they shove it back to where it needs to go. If you do the Queen's Conservatory and you actually spend time doing it, while you are sending back spirits and Loa and Gods to wherever they're going from, that's pretty much exactly what you're doing, is taking that spirit that's been healed and shoving it back where it needs to go. It's not harvested. It's not used to power anything. It's not repurposed. It's not reborn into anything in the Shadowlands, it's just there to heal long enough for it to be fully capable of going back, and then it goes back, and it shoves through a portal. Kyrian basically all wind up doing the same thing, except these souls don't need to be healed, they basically just need to go back to where they go, whether it's the elemental plane of fire, uh, whether it's, uh, the, you know, which goes back to their philacrity, and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but I don't care, uh, That, I think, makes perfect sense. I think that's the angle that you need to look at that from. Is it, again, these races dying, these races uh, or beings, these entities going into this transient state are just being ferried back to where they need to go.
1: One thing that occurs to me to point out, in the case of the fire elemental, elementals go back to their plane if they die on Azeroth. Mm Mm-hmm. But you said it died in the Firelands. That's what they said. If it dies in the Firelands, then it dies. That's how we killed Ragnaros. Remember, we went to oh, the Firelands and killed him? Yeah. See, elementals die in the Firelands or any other elemental plane. They die. That's, that's why the elemental planes exist. They just survive if they die on Azeroth because of the binding that has locked them into the elemental planes. They, they are driven back. But you kill one in the Firelands, like Ragnaros again, and they die. That's, that is why it was a big deal to go into the Firelands and fight Ragnaros. If he was just going to come back, there was no point to doing it. It was only because it was there. So an elemental that died in the Firelands absolutely does die.
0: Well, fair enough. And we know
1: there are, we know there are elements in the Shadowlands, and we know there are elementals in the Shadowlands. We have seen them.
0: That's true, and that way it would explain why we can see them because we did talk about uh, the Earth guys chilling around in Bastion. There's fire elementals running around the place. I haven't seen any air elementals, but I'm sure they're there.
1: But oh so, yeah, yeah, elementals can die. They just have to die on the elemental planes.
0: Yeah. So then, I even again, it even makes more sense. Maybe they as have. For,
1: you know, as for demons. That's an interesting thing to consider because demons, we we have always heard before that they return to the fell, but then we had Antorus and we're not sure how the mechanism of them returning to the fell actually functions just because they go back to the fell. Doesn't mean they don't go through the shadowlands to get there. That's kind of up.
0: And if the fell or if that mechanism even still exists now that we've sort of kind of took care of the whole, uh, titan soul that was being used to fuel the engine?
1: Yeah, but that doesn't the 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 uh, chronicle basically talks about how demons would come back f- well before Sargeras did anything. Sure. So, it's possible that the old system which let them come back, but it was the, the way Antorus worked, it was guided. It was controlled. It meant that if you wanted somebody back right now, you could just pull them back. And that's how they got Veramathras to torture He got killed, they pulled him right back out of Antorus, and began torturing him. But with that gone, they might be resurrecting the old way, which was unpredictable, because it was chaotic, because they're demons. But they
0: they still have to get to that point, they still die, right?
1: Yeah, and that's the thing, it's like, everything Sargeras did was imposing order on something chaotic. Again, that's what Titans do. They impose order. Even Cracked and Insane, he still imposed order on something chaotic. He created a legion out of a mob. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what they were before. They were just a mob. They were like, you know, every demon was out for itself. And he made them march in order. But now that he's not doing that, there's no order. There's no legion. There's just various demons, each out for themselves again, which might be what they're doing now in terms of resurrecting they just resurrect as they can they go back to the fell as they can and they might travel through the shadowlands to do it because it certainly seems to be a way station for everything that dies that's something we can't really speak to but it is possible at least
0: yeah and i mean who knows we're probably going to find out some more information about that with things that are coming in the future anyway and we say this a lot because well it's a true statement but with corthia coming out with a lot of the stuff that's going to be revealed there and possibly throughout the course of the entire rest of the expansion because we still have a whole lot of expansion to go folks uh we are not nearing the end of it at all Uh, this is the
1: first major patch
0: this is the first major patch and how many did legion and battle for azeroth have
1: at least up to point like a point three patch the only expansion in the past few years to not go up to a point three was Warlords of Draenor, mm-hmm. which went to a point two. So even if this one's short like like Warlords of Draenor, and I don't think it is, uh, there was still a patch nine you know, a point one and a point three two patch. So we'll at least get one more major patch after this. And I expect we will get two more at the least. I would and it might go longer. We don't know.
0: Yeah, and I would tend to agree because, again, this is one of those things where We've talked about this before, too, and this is maybe something we'll talk more about or possibly on the other podcast, is this has the potential to use those major updates to continue a longer story, maybe more so than the other ones have done in the past, not necessarily because there's just more story, but because the opportunity is there. And I think it's going to depend on how well this first big patch does and then the frequency therein as it moves forward, right? Long-term storytelling is definitely on their mindset and has been since Legion. Uh, Legion Battle for Azeroth have, have proven that they're looking at longer term story as opposed to some of the other expansions where things were a little more bite-sized and could probably, you know, break it down just a little bit more like Warlords of Draenor, uh, as Big as that story was, was really well self-contained because while well, it's an alternate universe, that kind of tangentially ties into what we're dealing with on the main the main timeline. So it doesn't have to go much further than that to get where we need to go. But now we're in a territory where maybe it will be longer. Maybe there's going to be more that they have to that they can tell. Maybe more content patches will lead us to different places before we even get to another expansion. But I think Matt's right, and I think we're going to get some major story updates. Uh, throughout the course of this. And even, don't forget, the minor ones, the or I shouldn't even call them minor, the smaller content releases that have been done in the past, especially with uh, Legion and with Battle for Azeroth, still had plenty of new story that they were told, and that doesn't mean that there couldn't be a 9.1.5 that has a major update for story, and then maybe a 9.2 and a 9.2.5. They've done that in the past. There's more for us to uncover. So... But I think we can move on from that one. Uh, Next one. Greetings, overlords of lore. Back at the end of April, you reminded us that we still don't know what Azeroth is the titan of. But what if we do, but have just missed it? Before I touch on the Trail of Breadcrumbs, I think it's important to do a quick reminder that the writers of the story have always embraced influences from Norse mythology. So my Trail of Breadcrumbs, first, the Pantheon states that Azeroth is the last of us. Sargeras is the warrior, the protector. Sergeirus is obsessed with Azeroth. Zolval wants Azeroth, making him the only first one so far to want to transcend into the Pantheon of Life. The Winter Queen only referring to Lelune as her sister merely acknowledges not attempting to transcend. I may have missed it, but why is the Titan Forge in the heart named Mother? Now for the Norse connection. Sergaris with his flaming sword and cleaving the worlds, besides being a father figure, has illusions of uh illusions of Surtur. Between the Void and Sargeras, it would seem that the universe is doomed to die in cosmic flame, much like Ragnarok. But from the flames, some gods will continue to go on. So is it that Azeroth is the Titan Mother? Is that why Sargeras is obsessed with her? Because as the ultimate protector, uh, his is the father figure, which would be why Zolval wishes to transcend and claim his prize. To the Norse gods, visions of Ragnarok were ignored until it was too late. Could this be what Sylvanas has been privy to and why she now moves to... see the world reborn sorry a lot of norse mythology is far rustier than those at blizzard but the trail has led me here uh and i bet there are some clues i'm missing along the way and this is from azimuth the humble nightborn hunter um i think you're more up to on Norse from than the i am
1: heart. yeah mother wasn't from the heart chamber correct she moved to the heart chamber but she wasn't originally there uh she was up at the um old uh, uh old year is that what it's called i can't remember that the raid old deer. yeah yeah she was up at all, dear. Um, Norse mythology certainly is one of the world mythologies that the Titans, or at least the Titan Forge, draw on, as is, you know, there's, there's others. Um, mm-hmm. the, some of them look very Greek. Uh, clearly, the ones in Pandaria touch upon various um, Eastern, Chinese and other yeah. Asian mythologies. Uh, but I don't think. I think you you know it's it's fine to like be aware of Norse mythology and so forth. Um, I don't think that they reacted too late to Ragnarok. I think they didn't react to Ragnarok because they knew it was impossible to do anything. Because in Norse in Norse religious thought, there is predestination. You don't have a choice. There's nothing you can do. It's like in in the Greek plays, you couldn't you know it was an act of hubris to attempt to escape a prophecy if someone made a prophecy it was going to happen. And if you tried to evade it, it would just happen anyway. Uh, for example, Perseus's grandfather was told that if his daughter, Dana had a son, that son would kill him. So he locked her away to keep anyone from, t- from, you know, getting her pregnant. Uh, so Zeus came in as a shower of gold and got her pregnant anyway. So he was like, well, then I'm going to have to kill her. So he stuck her in a little coffer and stuck her out in the ocean. And instead of dying, she was found by a fisherman and her and her son, you know, grew up with the fishermen. And in the end, Perseus killed him, not on purpose, during like an athletic thing. he I think he used to use sh- it was a shot put. Um, but yeah, he killed him. And thus the prophecy was fulfilled. You couldn't escape it. Mm-hmm. Uh, true prophecy was not escapable. In Norse mythology, everything was dead. The Norns had spun out the fates of all men. Yeah, the, and the, all sky-, gods.
0: the sky and witches had, had taken care of that. Like they, yeah. they that was already pre-de- predetermined.
1: There's, there was nothing to be done. It was all going to happen. There, that's why they didn't just kill Loki the first time he began acting up because there was no point to it. You could, you know, he, you wouldn't succeed, and it wouldn't change anything. Uh, it, it's one of the things that was a big part of why the, you know, Norse cultures, the, you know, were considered to be like almost suicidally brave because they didn't care like well if i'm gonna die now i'm gonna die now there's nothing i can do about it so i might as well go do what i was gonna do because you know if it's my time then i'm gone and if it's not my time then nothing can kill me uh and that's the way the entirety of norse mythology works the odin knew it was coming he knew how he'd die Um, he knew he could do some things to prolong his existence. Like they could bind the Fenris wolf and it would take longer for Ragnarok to happen, but it was still going to happen. It was the, the wolf was still going to kill Odin. Uh, they even knew that Odin's like son was going to kill the wolf. Vidar, the whole thing, you know, it was all known. Everybody knew how they were going to die. Uh, so it's not, I don't think wow goes with that. You know, the whole thing of, of wow. And, and that kind of thing is we've seen heroes actually rise up against these kind of things. There's that whole bit where Algalon says, how can you persevere against all cosmically calculated odds? But they do mm-hmm. like, that's the whole thing is we, we do things that are not possible. We do things there's a part when you, when you destroy Argus, it's, it's like, there's this quest text that's basically like, this isn't possible. This shouldn't have happened. But you have defeated a Titan.
0: Not defeated, killed.
1: Yeah, you have killed a Titan. And that's not possible. And you did it. But keep in mind, even
0: at this point, like, we've gone through that raid, Sargeras, who quote-unquote killed the Pantheon, has all their souls. They're, they're still there. They exist. They're not gone. They're just different, right?
1: Yeah, their souls escape their bodies and, and, and try to inhabit new ones. Uh, there's... So, that's not... A big part of World of Warcraft is that idea that you can defy fate. You can stand up and oppose it, which is not part of Norse mythology. So, I don't think... I, I, While well, I think you could certainly look look at this and say that's interesting, it's interesting that one of them is called Mother. Uh, it might be the role. If, if, if there's going to be a reincarnation cycle, that's at least feasible... Um, but we don't know. And we don't know what Azeroth's role is. It certainly could end up that Azeroth has to essentially reseed all the worlds that the Legion burned. That's entirely possible. But maybe it's something else. We we just don't know. But I do think it's dangerous to, to look too closely at any particular world mythology and assume that it is the way Warcraft works. Because Warcraft tends to oppose it it tends to the the entire ultimate story of world of warcraft is about how you can what's was it how's it illidan put it sometimes the hand of fate must be forced
0: yeah
1: like illidan the fate was to be chosen by the light and become a vessel for it he was born with glowing golden eyes that told him that that was his destiny from the get-go his destiny was to go through everything he did and become a servant of the light and he didn't and remember Ashara had the golden eyes too and she clearly didn't there's a there's an old thing that Velen once said that the light you know the light doesn't abandon the people that that believe in it that that choose to serve it but it does not it does not operate unopposed all these forces conflict and clash they don't None of them have dominion. So there's no way any of them can ultimately be destined to happen. The whole point is that they are in flux. They are in opposition. There's a struggle. And is, as insignificant as, as mortals may seem, mortals can tip the balance. Mortals can make decisions. I, they can choose the, their own fate. Then the future will come based on those decisions. It's not. There's no, there's no fate but what we make. To, to quote another source. Although I think that's go ahead, Sorry. No, you, you said something go for it. I
0: was gonna say, I th- although I think that's fascinating that the, that seems to be something that's very mortal centric inside of the Warcraft uh, universe. Mortals can do that for, for the lack of a better term, more than I think cosmic beings are believed to be able to do those things. Like, I keep coming back to the the idea that the Pantheon, the the, the Titans themselves, are beings of order. And they set things in the way that they should be to move along a track to get to a point that they think already should exist. And to a certain degree, I think that's been proven that when things don't go that way in case of, like, us fighting against uh, the Constellars that it's a surprise. It's not how things are supposed to happen. It's not what was planned. And to a certain point, I think that there might be a tin a tinge of sort of like that fatalism with when it comes to uh, the Titans themselves, right? And I'm wondering, I keep going back to this, this Last of Us thing, this Azeroth being the Last of Us thing there's another possibility that isn't the mother of the Pantheon, because I think Amon Thule was considered the father of the the Pantheon, not Sargeras. Um, What if it was just meant that Azeroth being the last of us is literally that the last Titan that would potentially be active in the universe? Because if you think about it, unlike the other Titans, maybe she doesn't have one specificity. Maybe she doesn't have one area that she, you know, rules over or is domain over more so than the others. Maybe she, and I brought this up a couple weeks ago, she, with the building of the facilities like they were done after Yashiraz was ripped out of her, after they tried to repair her shell or her egg, whatever you want to call it, to feed that spirit back into her, it wasn't just one thing doing that, it was all all of the Titans giving a piece of their expertise or a piece of themselves as an investiture into Azeroth. That's why ANR has, you know, for lack of a better term, I'm just going to call them minions doing what they're doing, cultivating those lives. That's why there's the bronze dragon flight trying to keep the, uh, the time pathways free and clear specifically, specifically on Azeroth. Um, What if that was always what it was meant to be, is that the time of those titans, to a certain degree, was always meant to come to an end? And we're at that point, and the only one that hadn't done that, that was trying to rail against that, was Sargeras. And he didn't even realize. And at the end, shoving that giant sword into her was passing that torch. And somebody brought this question up about what would happen if Azeroth woke up, ripped out that sword and decided to become, you know, the protector of the universe or whatever the case was. I'm I'm paraphrasing. I'm sorry if I'm butchering your question that you asked a few weeks ago, but maybe that's not too far off. Maybe at the end of this, the intention was that Azeroth would become better than the individual pieces of the Pantheon and be more complete. Like, Maybe their reaction to spirit, their connection with Alloon, which seems to be ever-present on Azeroth to maybe, we and again, we don't know what level it is compared to the other worlds that Alun can touch, but there seems to be a lot of it that all seems to tie together, and maybe Azeroth was always meant to be, for lack of a better term, the Voltron of the Titans, and to stand up and have pieces of all of them to do everything that they could do but with a better understanding because maybe that's how you fight the void the void is nothing but the pantheon themselves are all they're not opposed to each other but they all seem to have their specialty that again that's what they do maybe this is maybe that's what it is maybe it's somebody who stands up that has a pieces of all of them that is the sum of all those parts. That is the sum of creation, the sum of the, the universe uh, and all its various aspects. And that's how you fight the void. Maybe. Don't know. Um, I don't think it has anything to do with Sargeras being the father figure, because, again, I don't think he's very much a father figure. Um, the only wild card is Zolval, right? And we still have no idea why he wants uh, Azeroth. No idea whatsoever. And I think that's that's the wild card, right? Why, why would Zoval, why would the Jailer want Azeroth? And that's a question I don't have an answer to yet. And I don't think Matt does either. And I don't even think we have anything close to speculation. So, um, and like you've pointed out, Matt, there's... Tons of Norse uh, connection when it comes to the mythologies, as far as what is drawn upon uh, with the Azerothian or just World of Warcraft mythos in general, but it does seem like it borrows from a whole lot of other cultures as well. Uh, so, who knows? And maybe there is a, some form of fatalism in there, maybe there isn't, but I, I think we're going to find out a little bit more as we find out what the reason is behind Zoval wanting Azeroth, which we'll probably start getting an idea of next next patch drop. So anything else you want to add to that one? No. Okay. Our next, uh, or I think this might be our last question we have here. Uh, Dearest Lore Watchers, just finished a Forsaken in WoW classic. I only did this to play with my 16 year old son who refuses to see the error of his ways and join the Righteous Alliance. The following thought crossed my mind What do the discoveries and revelations of the Shadowlands mean for this Forsaken? Uh, this is from Starhammer, Knight of the Silver Hand, and Son of Ironforge. That's a loaded question just because it's very open ended. I don't know if we understand completely what Shadowlands means for the Forsaken. Up until recently, I hadn't seen a whole lot of Forsaken souls in like Torghast or the Maw, uh, but recently I've seen a ton of them. So they very clearly can go there. They very clearly can exist in whatever spirit form, uh, like elves and gnomes and, and everybody else can. So there's definitely something there but I don't know if it really changes their perspective as far as anything else goes compared to any of the other living races.
1: I feel like that's kind of ignoring something. Okay, go for it. Forsaken wouldn't exist without the Shadowlands. They wouldn't exist without Mm. the Jailer. That's true. They wouldn't exist without uh, the Rune Carver and the weapons that he made, the Helmet and the Sword, uh, the Helm of Domination and Frostborn, that were used by the Lich King to create the plague of undeath the, the power of that is what was powering the Lich King and he used the, that to create the plague of undeath that created the Forsaken so they wouldn't exist at all without the Jailer the Jailer created the Forsaken ultimately um, he also created the Scourge uh, so it's not like you know he created both the Scourge and the Forsaken because the Forsaken are just the original mm-hmm. Forsaken are just ex-Scourge who got their will back the, the domination effect was bleeding out because the Frozen Throne had a huge hole in it that he would used to shove the sword through in order to get it to Arthas in order as part of his plan to escape from the Legion's control. As a result of that, the domination effect of the Helm of Domination faded and they got their will back. And then after that, he couldn't just reclaim them because there were too many of them and he had to marshal his power. Uh, that's something to consider. It doesn't necessarily... Like we we don't know what that means, but we know that it's true that the 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 jailer is ultimately the creator of the Forsaken. Uh, why it is that Forsaken? It, it's like you you wonder should the Forsaken souls have already been in the Shadowlands? Like because they yeah. die, like that's something to consider. If they do actually have souls that can go there, are those the original souls of those bodies? Or, so, when are you're a Forsaken, are, is your mortal soul stuck in your corpse? Is that what your existence is? And it changes you so thoroughly that when that corpse dies, the soul that goes to the Shadowlands identifies more with the corpse that it was in than its original living body? I don't know. We know that souls can be fragmented.
0: Yep, we've learned that because of Uther.
1: And that's the power of Frostmourne again, which is one of the things that was used to create the original Scourge and Forsaken.
0: And technically, we it's know pop- that because liches exist, and they even exist inside of the Shadowlands in a which technically have fragmented yeah. their
1: souls. So it's possible that the souls that go down from Forsaken are just pieces of the original souls that were in those bodies. It's there's a lot to this, and so we don't we keep saying this because there's no there's not a lot to go on. There's nothing, there's no one has stopped and said, this means X for the Forsaken. So you kind of have to look at what you do have and speculate on what it means. We know that the Shadowlands have been reaching out, trying to escape, uh, Solal's been trying to escape them all for a while. We know that the Forsaken and the Scourge were created as part of that attempt. Uh, The original Lich King was intended as part of his plan. And then that Lich King, of course, you know, say what you want about Nerzul, but he wasn't a- interested in being anybody's patsy. So oh, no, just not like even he, close. Just like he escaped from Jaden, he definitely seemed to be plotting his escape from Zo'val, to the point where he's showing up in the raid, and Zo'val is clearly not happy with him, based on what we see of him in the raid that's coming. Arthas is much the same. Arthas w- was not interested in serving anyone. So it's there's definitely a connection and there's definitely without the shadowlands having existed in the first place, people would just die and they wouldn't come back. Uh, the Kyrian sending souls back to our realm is the result of them going to the shadowlands. And then the the Kyrian being like, Nope, go back. Uh, the thing with the forsaken, their spirits, however it works, they wouldn't, the power of the maw is what was used to raise them the necromantic energy that, you know, that raised them up is based on those runes on that blade and the rune work on that helmet. It's based on the power of the jailer working through those items. So that's something that if I were a forsaken, I'd probably switch my hatred to the jailer Yeah, because it's ultimately his fault. All of this is his fault, but in another way, what the second shot at existence you got is from the jailer. So I don't know, but definitely that that connection is there.
0: There's also another wild card that I think nobody's really talked about as far as forsaken go with the Shadowlands, And that's still Calia Menethil, like her being what she is and able to go to the Shadowlands Didn't go through the mall, mind you, which like the other ones did. So that that's another oddity. Um, but shows up in Oribos, is observing what's going on, has seen all of this that's going on, is supposed to be advising the Forsaken, How does that? how does that information get filtered down to them too, right? Like, the average Forsaken probably doesn't know the full extent of the runic stuff quite yet, maybe. We don't know, because it hasn't really been discussed. But how does that news being filtered down theoretically through Calia to the rest of the Forsaken, how does that alter their perception? And I think Matt's to something. I think that they shift their hatred a little bit. I think that it becomes uh, more of, this is the reason we exist, but I think you make a really good point. This is the reason we exist still. This is our second chance at doing something. Because for all the the bad that has happened at the hands of some of the Forsaken, the Wrathgate and the plagues that they tried to redo, and the ones that were incredibly loyal to Sylvanas's darker plans, there are still those that are heroes, right? There are those that maybe in life weren't soldiers, maybe in life they weren't uh, you know generals or people that would normally be combatants. Maybe they were bakers. Maybe they were stable hands. Who knows? But their second chance at life, the second chance at existence, gave them the opportunity to be something different. They got a chance to potentially reinvent themselves. And that's a gift and a curse at the same time. And how many of those forsaken were instrumental in defeating Whatever problems or these major catastrophes that have plagued Azeroth since for the last 16 years. You know, we can it's easy to write them off as just undead monstrosities that used to live in Undercity, but they're not. They're a people. They are a race of that exists that have feelings. When we talk about books, read before the storm. They're complicated. Their existence is complicated, and it's that they run the same gamut of emotions, maybe amped up a little bit, too, in some certain cases, that humans do. They still miss their family. They still want to exist and and do well. They want to protect those that they love. And, yeah, that second chance to do that matters. So it's forsaken are always a fascinating just entity in general, because they're so complicated and it's not in a bad way it's just everything about them this expansion is getting more complicated on top of what has already happened to them and we don't know how that's going to to shake out and i think you make an interesting point too and we've talked about this before we don't know if their souls have been fragmented we don't know if multiple pieces of you know eddie the forsaken exists in two different places at the same time where the one that is actually now in that Forsaken body is a little shard of soul that grew up into a different entity while the other part of it exists in the Shadowlands somewhere. We haven't encountered that yet. And I actually think that that would be something really interesting if they would actually explore. And I actually want them to explore more of the Forsaken in the Shadowlands and what it means. Because if any time we're going to get more Forsaken lore or story, this is the perfect opportunity to do it. And while we have gotten some with Zolval, we have gotten some with everything that happened or is happening with the Helm of Domination and Frostmourne and the story behind that. There's still more that you can do with it and what it means to the individual forsaken soldier or person or citizen, because there are those that don't fight. Right. There are those that still try to maintain a society, for lack of a better term. So it's a deceptively complicated question for Forsaken. And I don't really know where they're going to go with it, but I really do hope that we have one of those experiences where we can hear some conversation about what the Shadowlands means for the Forsaken, what all these revelations mean for the Forsaken and how it colors their perception and how it, it changes or doesn't change how they interact with the living uh, or truly living. I don't know how you'd call it. Or how it changes how they accept Calia Menethel. Because that's, again, still a wild card. And She says that she doesn't want to lead them, but she's going to advise them. At some point, the writing's on the wall. She's going to wind up leading the Forsaken. It's it's almost inevitable, right? So, I don't know. There's a lot of cool stuff that they could do with that. And I'm really, really hopeful that in the coming patches, we get some Forsaken-centric story and, and revelations to further explain what they're thinking, what they're going through, and what everything means. Uh, Anything else you want to add to that one, Matt? Oh, not really, no. Okay. Well, I think that's going to do it for us today. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your questions answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ad-free site experience. Uh, for those, the listeners at Blizzard, of Blizzard Watch, Audible is offering free audiobook download with a 30-day free trial uh, to give you the opportunity to check out their service. This is a perfect opportunity for you to go ahead and check out both for the Storm, Shadows Rising, uh, or the Arthas novel, or the Illidan novel, before we get to the Sylvanas novel in November. Great opportunity to do that, see what we talk about with the characterization, see what we talk about the story developments from some very fantastic writers. Uh, you can download many of Blizzard's titles, as well as thousands of others, at blizzardwatch.com slash audible. And again, if you do have questions for this show or the other one, please be sure to send them into podcast at BlizzardWatch.com, uh, or you can send them into one of our multiple Discord channels. Um, one thing I would like people to do, and I would like some more of this, we haven't had any in a while, is I would like some ideas if there's a particular theme or topic that you'd like us to discuss in depth. Answering questions is great, but I'd also like to see what type of content would you like us to revolve an entire episode around? And be sure to send those in as well to podcasts at blizzardwatch.com. And with that, we'll see you next week.